0: Hey guys, what's up? This is Lizzie Jean and we are back. We are back back this time. I have a slew of episodes to throw at you guys for the month of December. Just locked in the next live series at Cyclops Cove in Boca Raton in about 2 weeks going to sit down with some of your favorite artists playing that event. That will be super sick to have on the schedule for the start of the new year with the podcast. I went back to doing a remote episode with one of the most intelligent Forward thinking women on the back end of our industry right now. I was so happy to have Jordan Mafion. on. She is curation manager at Beatport. For the current time. She's been there for about two and a half years. She's almost getting her master's from Berklee School of Music. She took on that endeavor over COVID. Like how freaking insane and impressive. She's worked for Nest HQ. She's a freelance writer. She's hosted Dash Radio and Insomniacs Radio live at some of your favorite festivals like EDC Las Vegas and more. We had just a lovely conversation. If you are an up and coming artist, if you are curious about how If you are curious about how playlists are curated at different streaming platforms, specifically focusing on Beatport, this is definitely an episode to listen to, as well as just curiosity for so many of the jobs and different hats she's worn on the back end of the music industry. Don't forget to check out my Patreon. I actually have some awesome additional information from this podcast specifically. Check it out linked below at www.patreon.com backslash this is Lizzie Jane. Make sure you are keeping up with XO Radio. We have some awesome guests coming on for the month of December to round out 2021. Without further ado, Jordan Moffey, current beatboard curator of all of the electronic dance music playlists. She has such a wonderful resume. I was so happy to have Jordan on. Without further ado, this is Lizzie Jane and you're listening to the EXO podcast.
1: Hi, Jordan. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you so much, Lizzie. I'm honored to be here. I got so excited when I got your message to join. So, thank you so much.
2: Well, it means a lot that you can take the time out of your busy schedule. I mean, I've just kind of what I was telling you before I'm really trying to have more women who are just killing it on the front end and the back end of the industry come on and talk about their journey and their experiences. And I remember I like bumped into you the uh, beep for like a very long time ago because of like some submissions for playlists. And then I was doing stuff on LinkedIn and I came across your profile and I saw Berkeley and Dash Radio and Nest HQ and the stuff you're doing with beep for now and founder dance. And it was, I was like, holy shit. Okay. Let's like reach out and do this, especially because we're kind of coming to an end of year close a lot of people are I'm not talking to anyone until 2022 and that's definitely <laughs> right. understandable given the year that we've had or past two years we've had and I think everybody's just like ready to move forward um but thank you again for coming on for our listeners if you don't mind just giving us a brief introduction of yourself really quick I would appreciate that
1: Absolutely. So, my name is Jordan Maffey. Uh, I currently work as a curation manager for Beatport. Um, I manage seven different genres on the store. I'm the only one in America who's on the curation team. So, my whole team is based in Berlin and I handle the more commercial EDM stuff, the big rooms, the dubsteps, things like that. Uh, and then I'm two weeks away from receiving my master's degree in music business from Berkeley's online program. Yes. So, I'm very excited about that. Uh, I mean, what else can I say? I'm usually trying to host any uh, any of my own podcasts or other broadcasts. Um, I've done some hosting work for Insomniac Radio, for Dash Radio, some stuff for Beatport as well. So, um, and like you said, Lizzie, I'm so excited for 2022. I'm, I'm so ready. Uh, and I honestly don't know what next year has in store, but hopefully a lot of new exciting projects to come.
2: I'm sure, oh my gosh. And I feel like we're all kind of sitting in that boat where we feel like we're kind of sort of back to normal, but not quite there yet. And mm-hmm. that's so exciting about your master's. Now, was this something that you were doing pre-COVID? Or was this like, we're going into this time and period where there are not going to be any live events, so I'm going to go get my master's?
1: That's exactly what I did. So right when COVID hit, I was very, very thankful that you know my job was safe uh, and I was able to work from home. And I found myself with so much free time on my hands, and I've always wanted to get my master's. Uh, I got my bachelor's in journalism in 2017. I received that. And I didn't plan on going back to school just because I didn't want to pay for it. Mm -hmm. Uh, But then I was like, I, I keep thinking about it, and I want to do it. And I saw that Berkeley's program is significantly less expensive when you do it online, and you work at your own pace, basically. So I started it right kind of maybe the month after COVID. So it's been about a year and a half half now. And um, I can't believe how fast it's gone by and simultaneously so slow because I feel like I spent the last six months just slaving away on my thesis and now it's it's done. So I feel like looking back on all of it, I'm really, really glad that I decided to do that with my time during COVID. Um, but I understand that for everybody. It's not the easiest thing to, to put onto yourself during such a stressful oh, kind of time. Absolutely. I feel like,
2: and, and I was kind of the same way. And, you know, I would see people make comments around the fact of like, oh, if you're not, you know, coming out of COVID with, from my perspective as a producer, like 40 IDs, what the fuck have you been doing? And da da da. But it's like everybody, it was, it's kind of this different sort of grieving where, like, everyone's going to grieve differently and everyone's going to handle it differently. And, you know, I, I, I thankfully haven't discussed or haven't discussed COVID in a long time because I've been doing on site like podcasts at festivals and everything. But it was just really this unpredictable time where no one knew what was going to happen. And in our industry, our industry does not function. And the kind of people we are, it it just, it it kind of puts this fork in the road and says, you cannot pass. And some people that really mess them up mentally. But when I kind of had that mental rut that I'm sure everyone went through, I think when I've had discussions with everybody, they've had that one to two months where they were like, man, I just couldn't get out of bed. I just couldn't do this. Focusing on something new, kind of what you did with Berkeley and getting your master's was the thing that allowed me to move forward. And and I think a lot of people just realized in any position that you're working in in the industry, it's really hard to depend on touring or live music for your financial income moving forward solely.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it is it's tough and that's uh, again like some of the other people that are in my my cohort for Berkeley did the reason that they decided to pursue their masters is because they were touring or they were um, a lot of Broadway people who now were out of work. So, um, I mean, I'm I'm very, very grateful that, you know, student loans came through. Still not really thinking about how I have to pay those back in six months, but I'll cross that bridge when I get there. Um, But yeah, I mean, I even still to this day, I have those days where I'm like, it's a work from bed kind of day. I'm not getting up.
2: (laughs) Oh, absolutely. And I mean, we also work in an industry where You know, not a lot of us are like self-employed, like owning an LLC for an artist or whatever, but we are not your typical nine-to-fivers and we kind of operate on all different ends. Some of us are completely nocturnal. The other ones wake up way early. I remember coming out of COVID. I was like, holy shit, I can't be at a club until 3 a.m. Like my bedtime is at 10 and I'm used to getting up at seven and then like touring came back. And I was like, oh boy, this is going to be quite the adjustment. But Um, everybody kind of has their own flow. And that's what makes it great. And I feel like a lot of corporate America realized that when you kind of give your workers the ability to choose when they're going to work and work from home, it's actually going to potentially be more productive than making them come and sit in like they're in a classroom. And because I I had roommates that were all sent home and granted it was a lot to be here with a thousand other people in the rooms, but everyone kind of operated on their own schedule and they all put that, like put up better numbers in their marketing jobs than they were at the office, which is interesting.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, I think even just... We all have lives, you know? And I think that in America, especially, the work culture is not very friendly to these lives that we have. I mean, I know people who work six days a week and their only day off is Sunday. You cannot possibly get all of your errands and all of the social time and all of your me time on just one day of the week. So... I think anybody, especially who maybe, maybe has kids or takes care of their family or has any other reason to be at home that's more convenient for them, it makes it, it makes us feel more free and it makes us happier and less stressed. So it totally makes sense. Um I'm grateful that, you know, Beatport, we have a hybrid kind of model. Um, so I can come into the office, do some work at home. And it's it's really, really freeing and liberating, honestly, to decide how I want, you know, my work day to go.
2: That's amazing. And I definitely feel like more in the creative space and and arts and entertainment, they are more open to that kind of structure. And I know it was kind of like a huge wow when Google started bringing in the couches and letting them work from home and bringing in the dogs. And I feel like I've seen companies on this end, whether it's agencies or distribution companies where they've had offices that have implemented the same kind of procedures all along the way, which has been just wonderful for productivity and just feeling like you're not clocking into this thing that you don't want to be at, and it's like what you were saying before. I mean, I just look at the inflation of like the dollar now and all this stuff, and it's like everyone's getting paid the same, and so are you just supposed to work more to be able to pay your bills? And and mm. it's, it doesn't lead to a very happy life work balance, you know kind yes. of standhold. And and with Bport, that's amazing to hear that they kind of have embraced that structure. How did you kind of get intertwined with Bport? I know they're kind of the last stop on your journey thus far and you seem quite happy there.
1: I am. I definitely am. You know, uh I was working at Nest HQ from when I, I moved to LA from San Diego in 2017. And it was like January 2018. I started working for Nest full-time. And then unfortunately, it was mid-2019 when the website shut down. And I was honestly terrified. I had no idea what I was going to do because I had a journalism degree. I'd only ever really had full-time work experience writing about music. And I thought, you know, oh man. There's not that many outlets that are going to pay me to, to do this job full time. And thankfully, I was just browsing on Indeed, LinkedIn, just all of the job sites. And I came across uh, an opening for a curator at Port, And they specifically wanted someone who lived in Los Angeles and who liked EDM, like the commercial EDM stuff. I said, well, that's, that's not me. Yeah. Uh, so it's... It's funny because I've had people ask me like, oh, who did you know, you know, to get that job? And I didn't know anybody at Beatport. Actually, I just hoped that, you know, my application would stand out. I wrote a cover letter uh, and it did. And I did get the job. So it's it's been over two years now. I, I love my job. It's actually been like two and a half years now. My gosh, time flies. Um, and yeah, I listen to like 2000 tracks every week. That's the bulk of the job, create the playlists,, uh, just keeping up with music and being involved in the community like we have on Twitter. you know, the way that we connect on social media. that's that's something that's really a huge part of my job. And I think a lot of people don't realize how much being active on social media and just in your community in real life is necessary, you know, to thrive in a job like this and to stay informed of what's coming up, any new trends, uh, the next big artist things like that. So I'm just so grateful that I came across that job opening. So for people who say that no one can find a job on Indeed or LinkedIn, I am the exception. So I highly encourage people to go go look.
2: (laughs) Well, and now too, I mean, I know our industry may be a bit different because I mean, let's be real. It's very rare when you get to live your job or live your passion as your job. There's very few people who get to do that. And that's why whenever I sit down and I'm like, Fuck, oh, man, this feels like a job, but I love it. And then I, you just have to take a step back and say, okay, you're not putting on a uniform. You're not doing this. You're sitting in the comfort of your household and you're making music and you're editing videos and you're doing this and you're doing that. And so, you know, it definitely may be harder to find a, a job within our industry, but it's not impossible. And I feel like I've met so many people along the way that, You know, I don't know if stagnant would be the right word, but they just hadn't broken through in their certain career path. And I meet these people who are incredibly unexperienced, but so hungry and they love music so much. And you just see that in them. And it's like this like fire burning. And I feel like if you have that, you're going to find a way to make it work. Because I've seen people. I've seen I've seen the after party DJs. I've seen the the guys who are just promoters selling hard tickets and then they turn into talent buyers. They turn into purchasers, you know? And and it's just, it's really, really interesting. And I'm sure you started as a music fan yourself.
1: Oh yeah. I mean Where where do I even begin? I went to my first rave when I was 13 years old. Oh, man. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. I'm being from San Diego. So in San Diego, there there was a period of time where there were all ages um, events happening from these rave promoters. And so they would do underground events. But for these all ages ones, they would get like a legal venue. It would be from like 6 p.m. to 11 p.m. Um, my dad would drop me off and pick me up each time. Shout out to my dad for doing that. Um, Shout out. yeah, it was this was 2010, and I'm like, every time I say I was 13 when I went to my first rave, everyone just assumes, like, so you were like doing drugs then? I'm like, no, um, I was terrified of anything alcohol or drug related whatsoever because I was in like eighth grade, um, and Electro House was huge. That was, um, you know, kind of like Bloghouse was starting to fizzle out and then Electro House was really big. And then of course, dubstep, you know, in America, at least that's when Skrillex was putting out some of his first tracks. So it was a very interesting time to get into music. And I mean, I've always just been a music fan throughout my life, but I mean, I, my first job, I worked at hot topic <laughs> when I was 14. Yeah. Uh, yes but we would sell. You know, we sold music. We're still a music store, um, music merchandise. I also volunteered at a local venue to get some uh, community service hours in high school. I and, did the same you know, thing. Did I you? Did the Amazing.
2: Thing. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. I'm glad that that was something that I could do because the venue is actually a nonprofit um, center for teens. So I ended up getting a job there when my volunteer uh, things ended. And so I've actually booked my own shows, um, you know, sold. Tickets worked the merch table. I've done. I've done it all. Um, and so I, I've just heavily been involved in music, going to shows, finding new music. My whole family is just really into music in general, so it was a pretty natural progression to to fall in love with music.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And and that that's just so funny. I used to go to Hot Topic, all the band tees. My mom used to do the same thing with me. When I was 13, she would take me to metal shows. She would stand upstairs. Oh. She'd let she'd let me see the show and all that stuff. And I I remember when I was 18, I was brought to see Borgor, and it was not my cup of tea. And then shortly <laughs> after that, I saw um Sub Focus and I saw Aurel Grind. And I was mm-hmm. like, okay, I, I get this now. And it's it's such a welcoming community. And, and it's, it's very cool to see that you've kind of sat in all of these different positions to get yourself to where you are now. And would you say that has helped you obtain the jobs that you are working at now by having that experience under your belt, or was it just more so like a love for music?
1: Honestly, I think it's a bit of a combination of both because I will say there have been some work situations where my input and my passion has actually caused, you know, a project to move forward or for some, someone to think of an idea, um, or to sway somebody <laughs> about like something, some new product, um, or some, some new idea that, um, you know, myself or the company or any of my freelance projects have. But, um, I think that there have been plenty of like, work experiences I've had, internships, um, interviews, where talking about my experience with music and just how far back it goes made a difference in, you know, me as a candidate and probably helped me get certain jobs. Because I think that there's a lot of people who can say, you know, yeah, I love ADM. I'm I listen to it in my spare time. And then, you know, when they get down to it and it's like, okay, can you work, live, breathe this music 24 seven and make it your passion to, you know, to do this job. And there are some people who then kind of realize like, okay, maybe I don't like it that much. Like I'm into it, but it really, really takes someone who is that passionate about it. Because man, there are some times where, you know, I'm curating, for the new releases that are coming out and um like 80% of them are just unlistenable because they're not mixed well or like it's way too loud which is my least favorite thing I especially in, or way too quiet or out of key and so there are just some days where everything I hear, I'm like, ah, I'm, nothing is really jumping out at me. So to get through those times where, you know, it's not all just incredible new music. Um, it, it takes someone who's really hungry and passionate about, about the job and not just someone who, you know, is kind of into it.
2: <laughs> well, I think that's, that's kind of like the happy medium that you have to think about where, yes, we are working our job. That is our passion in life, but we're not working 40 hour work weeks. You know, we're pushing 60, we're pushing 80 sometimes, maybe even more on like festival weekends where you're working a festival hosting, you know, Insomniac or Dash or something like that, where it's just nonstop. But so much of it is fun that you don't consider it work. So sometimes, you know, my boyfriend will tell me on the phone, he goes, Liz this is your job. Sometimes you're not going to have the best time in the world. And, and I think those moments where I can't imagine sifting through so many songs, I feel like I, I can't imagine your ears. I feel like my ears, when I listen to music now go, Ooh, that's placed there. Ooh, that's, that's there. So when yes. you have, tell me about your process about like the new music Fridays and like the curating for this new music. I know from personal experiences and just understanding a bit of how the back end goes, you know, I'll see artists with larger managers, larger agents who have relationships with these Spotify curators. And, you know, it goes release here, Friday Crate Diggers, you know, this playlist, this playlist, this playlist. Is that how that works at ePort or do you approach it differently?
1: So what's really interesting, it's a great question, by the way. Um, What's really interesting about The way that we do it at Beatport, uh, I like that it's we're not um, communicating with artists directly or even artist managers directly. We have a whole department that uh, is like label relations. And so they communicate to the curators who wants to be featured. And we've got a whole huge uh, little spreadsheet where we listen to everything each week. And even then, there's more music than is just being pitched to us as a curator. So... I still go in the back end and I listen to every single thing that gets delivered into my genres. So I think it's nice that instead of having, you know, artists and managers pitch the curators directly and having like this huge inbox where it's not only listening to the music, but also arranging the features and keeping that communication, our job is to literally just focus on the music. So I really like, yeah, it's set up in a really, really smart way that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, there's a lot less stress on the curators. I cannot imagine, um, you know, how, let's say like a Spotify playlist editor who is, you know, having this relationship with all of these artists and managers. It sounds really stressful, honestly. But it's amazing how,
2: you know, you guys are able to strip that. There's probably a better word for it, but I'm going to (laughs) refer to it as a political relationship and just focus on the music because it gives these people a playing ground. And something I've experienced as well as a lot of up-and-comers lately is that, you know, it's amazing because there's so many labels emerging and so many sub-labels that are pushing so much forward-thinking music that maybe isn't part of the, the top seven, the Dead Beats, the Wakon, the Disciple, Never Say Die, Din you know, they're right underneath that and they're pushing out incredibly forward-thinking music is that it's just, it's, we, we on our end, you know, we'll get emails back to say, we love this, but we can't release this until this time next year. We can't release this until quarter one of X, Y, and Z. Mm -hmm. And then as an artist, you have to, I was in a personal position where I, for a year, was making music and I, and I knew I was getting better and I knew my sound was developing more. And then I knew that that music that I didn't have as developed wasn't going to be released for a year. And it's like, okay, that's kind of how the game works, but also you can do it independently if you have the right resources. So to hear that too, where you're not just dealing with the top five agencies and the top management groups are giving these players that are choosing to go an independent route, you know, a better way to get their music heard by the masses.
1: Totally. Absolutely. I mean, we get tons and tons and tons of independent releases. I mean, even through DistroKid, Repost Network, um, I I usually find so much gold when it comes from these uh, independent aggregators. So, for anyone who's listening and wonders if we hear this stuff, yes, we listen to everything that gets delivered to the store.
2: That's um, what's going through my head right now. I'm just like, okay, I
1: was listening to this. What would I
2: want to know as an artist? Because yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's still things that go through my head all the time. Like I'm in I'm in transition of teams, and and when you're in a, a place where you're worrying about X, Y, and Z, and you want to just make sure that at least people are listening to your music. With the bigger streaming platforms, that isn't always the case. And, you know, that's just like that's just a pill you have to swallow. And you would hope with, you know, time and consistency that that changes. But from a producer standpoint, you know, we all go to Beatport. It's like if you want to get the high quality wave files, if you want to get X, Y and Z, Beatport is the place to go. And it's really cool to see. I feel like for the first time I've talked to a multitude of consumers that are just ravers that really did beatport poor because you've kind of seen this decline of SoundCloud, oversaturation, uh, the The Spotify, you know, obviously is is one of the biggest streaming platforms, but it's really easy to do, you know, the fake plays, the play, you know, the pay to play for curators and, and playlists and stuff. And and I just talk to people and they're like, yeah, like we go to beat for it because it's just there and, and the charts are good and everything's well-organized. So it's cool to see from that other side that that it's, you know, just a good team kind of relationship and everybody plays their part. Cause yeah, I couldn't imagine trying to make everybody happy and still put together a good music playlist.
1: Absolutely. I mean, and thank you for saying that. Uh, That means a lot. I, I think too, when you say not only, you know, the fans going to beatport like the artists, the fans, uh, I know that a lot of people, even if they're not buying music on Beatport, they like to know what you know, the charts are looking like, like the top 100 for their favorite genres. Um, But I think when, you know, when COVID hit and we had that moment, like, okay, what are, what are we going to do? Like every business just had to decide what they're going to do to keep things moving forward. And that's when Beatport launched the Reconnect live streams. And so we had, you know, it was last last year over the summer, um, Pete Tong, Tiesto, like all, just all the biggest DJs who came together. And the best thing was like that first Reconnect, it was all completely live. Um, which everybody wow. kind of learned how hard that it is. is a shit show. <laughs> yeah, so I think wow. moving forward, we're like, okay, pre-records just make way more sense. Um, but that was something that we did to kind of literally reconnect with the community and make everybody feel together again, even when we couldn't be. And I think that was a really big step forward for us, just for the culture in general, because, you know, I know that people have their opinions about Beatport, about Spotify, about tons of different music platforms. And I think it was just a really cool way to be involved in our community and bring up some artists to play our streams. You know, we had small artists, big artists. We had Beatport employees playing streams. So it was really, really great. And I think that, you know, it's it's just exciting to be a part of this team when we're, you know, the closest with the Rave community than we've ever been.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like, I mean, in no way, shape, or form was COVID anything good for any of us, but it really restructured the way a lot of companies, exactly what you just said, were thinking. And I think it pulled out this new, everyone was so set in their ways. It was like, okay, here's festival season, here's album release season, here are the people who are gonna do well this year, and here's the train moving. And when everything stopped, not only did it show everyone that, like, by a click of your fingers, can like your life freaking change, especially in this industry, it got the wheels turning of like these incredibly innovative, creative people who work in our industry, who really were just like fulfilling these roles that they were really good at. And now they had their higher ups or people on their team saying, what are your ideas? What can you do to do this? And I think Streaming and Twitch and YouTube Lives and Facebook Lives were a huge part of this new element that still are relevant. Even, you know, I want to say we've been confidently out for a good six months with events. And ish, I'm from Florida, so you're from California. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But it's cool to see artists still doing them, and I still see big companies doing the stream events. And I think that's really cool because. You know, I would always have conversations with students I would teach or consults, and the biggest kind of thing on their mind would be playing shows. How can I get picked up on this tour? How can I do this? How can I do that? And my biggest message to them would be when you play for a room of however many people, you're going to have a retention rate of maybe 30 to 50, 60 percent. If that, if that, Mm -hmm. and Then if they leave and you don't have anything for them to hold on to music wise, you're not going to stay in their mind because everybody's the star of their own story. They're going along and you may have an amazing performance, but if you have nothing for them to tangibly listen to and grasp and revisit, then these shows are just something to put on your resume or something to put, to put off the block. And I felt like that barrier was broken with streams. Because then all of a sudden, from the comfort of my home and my pajamas, I can watch Tiesto playing and I can watch this artist that I really have been looking at. But would I pay $20 to go see them? Probably not. Probably not yet. But now I get to watch them for free. So it, it was really interesting to see everything fold that way.
1: Totally. I agree. I I think especially like those first few months that we were in lockdown over here in LA, it was just my roommate and I sitting on the couch, making some drinks and watching the live streams. We would have like a whole like schedule because everybody was just going at all hours of the night. I definitely found out about new artists because of live streams. So um, you're, you're totally right. And I think especially... You know, and people say like, oh, it's only twenty bucks to go see a great show. And people also have to remember that during COVID, a lot of people lost their work, um, didn't have even the funds to pay if you know twenty dollars to to watch a live stream if they charged that. Uh, and so it was it was just totally the right thing for the scene to do at the time. And I know that some people complain still about if people are still doing live streams and how you know we should move past that. But consider that it is globally accessible. And that's, and that's huge. That's an an artist. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's
2: one of the biggest ways that you can grow yourself. I mean, I look at my friend, Gianna, she's from, she's from LA, J-B-N-A, J-A-N-B-A, yes. And she, you know, propelled her whole career on Twitch streaming and YouTube streaming. And you just, people don't realize that it's such like a cutoff little aspect that we don't think about because these festivals are these massive gatherings and showing shows and touring and releases. And it's a lot to put on someone's plate to do all of that and then stream and do all of that and still create a channel. Like, it's like, can I have more hours in the day? But if, I feel like if you can slowly build that you really have access to this crowd that, you know, aren't even American citizens, aren't even over here in this in this vicinity. And also what you said about, you know, money right now, people just regardless of what class you're in, it's still hard. And and people are still having a very hard time. I know in Florida, our whole eviction, non-eviction thing is going away at the beginning of the year. So there's all these people who haven't had the money to pay their bills, haven't done this. And unfortunately, the last thing on their mind is going to a you know, exactly. it's, uh, it's, it's just, it's going to take us a while to climb out of it and everything will be okay, but it's, it's from the touring side too. And I know you said that you, you will help out with events here and there and you've done, I mean, you just did, what event did you just do where you hosted for insomniacs?
1: Um, my goodness. I think the last, so I, the last time I hosted an insomniac event was in 2019. I did both EDC and I did hard summer. And then, you know, in the past year I've hosted some stuff for Beatport, um, not only just for the live streams, but we do this thing called Beatport backstage. So we go to like cross festival in San Diego and interview some artists and some fans. But yes, um, the hosting thing, even that story is hilarious. When people ask me, like, how did you get that gig? Yeah, I would love to know. I was going to form Arcosanti. It's a festival in Arizona that's curated by 100 Waters. Um, Skrillex played every year, so our whole Nest HQ crew would go to that event. And it was a week before EDC, like the weekend before. And in 2018, I decided to do both, which... I was, <laughs> <dipped>. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, it was two years in a row that I actually decided to do both. And on my drive back from Arizona, I got a call um, from my coworker. She said, "Hey, there's this awesome opportunity that I was asked to do, but I'm not going to EDC. But I let them know that you're going to EDC and you're a great interviewer, and you'd be happy to do it. Do you want to get on a call with this guy? And this guy, um, his name's Isaac, who's working for Dash Radio." And the moment we get on the phone, he's like, yeah, we just need someone to do artist interviews and this and that. I thought it was going to be like... Pretty chill, and it was funny. He's like, "Yeah, no, I can hear your voice. You'll you'll be good. You've got a clear speaking voice." I said, "Great!" Like, Like, I've never done anything like this. Like, I've always wanted to, but I had never actually hosted anything, you know, or broadcast anything besides, you know, in my college radio station years before. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I show up to EDC. We've got this whole setup, you know, for the in the artist lounge, and it was a way bigger thing than I thought it was going to be. And I totally wasn't prepared, but I just kept seeing artists that I was friends with and grabbing them and having them come do interviews. And very quickly, I learned like, whoa, I actually kind of have a knack for doing these off the cuff. Like, I don't really need to prepare questions. I'll kind of just ask an artist like, hey, what do you want to talk about? Cool. My brain just locks it in. And um, the, the people running the show were very impressed with how I did. And so I did Hard Summer as well. But I quite literally only got that gig just because this girl I worked with just suggested I do it um, Life
2: works in weird
1: ways. Right. And so yeah. that's, that's another thing is like, well, Oh, who did you know there? I'm like, <laughs> nobody, I didn't know anybody. And, um, uh, and then it's brought me here and I'm so happy that I have, you know, that experience under my belt. I have more goals, you know, in the future to do things like that. You know, once I get my master's and I have more free time, but yeah. yeah so, so that's how that happened. Um, and it's—I uh, think I interviewed like fifty artists at EDC, and then during Hard Summer, I I sat down and did an interview with Pasquale himself. So um, it's—it was totally unforgettable. That's amazing. Yeah,
2: way to way to say goodbye to your voice. That's yeah. That's <laughs> after after a weekend like that, and then you know you're kind of trying to project and all of that stuff on top of it. It's it's definitely a lot, but that's amazing. And and it's it's definitely commendable because like you wouldn't have gotten the, the like more opportunities afterwards if you didn't kind of hit it on the head when you had the opportunity but that's why I kind of just say that it's always just good to be prepared in some way shape or form with with this kind of little niche it it is very much so okay can you speak well okay can you think off the top of your head there's there's not a lot of ways to necessarily train for that but when I you know when I Talk to other producers or students, or just fellow colleagues, and we talk about music. It's just so important to always have something there and have something to say. Okay, this is what I'm working on right now. It's not done, but da 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 da, because. The best opportunities that I think have been thrown my way is kind of exactly like how you did, where it was a friend or it was somebody's team member, and they said, "Well, my artist isn't available, but Lizzie's here, and so can we hook you up with Lizzie's team, and we'll get it sorted out." And and you know, if you're prepared in the moment, it can just open like awesome doors. And I think that's also like the beauty of our industry as well, because if you look at like corporate America, and even if you're on like a salary. You know, you're going to work five years. Your salary is going to go up. You make it a promotion X, Y, and Z. Where here, you know, you look back even a year, even through COVID, and I feel like your life, my life probably are drastically different now than it was a year ago. And I think that's really cool about working in this industry.
1: Yeah, I agree. Absolutely. I mean, funny that you say the thing about your voice being gone. I, like when you, after doing a weekend like that, I didn't even host anything this weekend, but I went to Project Z and was just screaming like a maniac (laughs) to all of my friends' sets and talking to friends. Like, now my voice needs to take so much time to recuperate. Even just talking because, you know, when we were on lockdown, yeah, I might be like talking on zoom with my friends, but nothing like when you're at a show and you're yelling into your friend's ear and you're drinking drinks and you're like, you know, so I'm right now. I was so worried that even going on this podcast, I'm like, Oh God, I hope my voice doesn't betray me today. No, <laughs> it, it sounds great. But yeah. I got a little graspy thing going on, but I'm not mad about it. <laughs> no, no, no. It sounds, it sounds wonderful.
2: Trust me. I have like and, and you just don't think about it too, because especially now, you're just so hyped to see everybody. So yeah. you're just talking, you're catching up, you're saying all these things. I did the same thing at Lost Lands and I had never done like a live podcast series at a festival that I was playing. I usually do them at like festivals I'm not playing. And I was playing on the third day of Lost Lands this year. And I had done podcasts on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And then I got to my set. And I was like, oh my God. Or like Sunday morning, I woke up and I talked to my boyfriend. My boyfriend's like, yo, what the fuck is going on with your voice? He's like, have you been drinking? And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, how many podcasts have you done? I'm like 12. He's like, you need to not talk at <laughs> all whatsoever. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, because you just don't realize it. It totally takes a toll. And then putting alcohol on top of that isn't a good mixture. And i oh
1: like, well, I was to say, Lost Lands has so much dirt and dust too. I imagine that your throat is just like coated. I've only been to Lost Lands once, but doing the podcast and all, all weekend, I did see the video podcast that you did at the festival, and that's that's so cool. I love that Lost Lands does stuff like that, and like the producer Den and and everything. Yeah. Like, but oh my god, the dirt and the dust in your throat, plus doing a podcast, plus playing your set, plus talking to your friends. Oh my goodness. <laughs> and We were meeting so many people too, because like, i would never been to Lost Lands before and
2: it was just, and I'm sure you've been a part of festivals that have been like this probably, especially when you were working with like Nest HQ, where it was just such a family vibe, like with, with some of like, and I'm not even saying larger, there were probably 60, 80,000 people there throughout the weekend, which is like insane. Cause they were hiring tickets from 2020. So there were a shit ton of people who came and went throughout the weekend, but, you know, we got there, they made us dinner. Like it, it was like so sweet. It was not normal. And, and then they were able to help like accommodate with podcasting stuff and, and then the producer's den. And there's just so much that goes into to that. And, and, you know, just to hear that, like Jeff rents out, all of the houses within, I think like a five mile radius and like sends them all on vacation. And, and it's just like pretty crazy. And, and it's wild to see, you know, his parents, his grandparents, it looked like we're there. And, and it's, it's very, very cool because it really just takes a team of people who believe in something to work really hard to like bring it together. And that's why it's really, you know, I don't know on like your side, if you look at people's journeys and you ever like compare and you're like, okay, well, I have this under my belt or I have this under my belt. You know, I'm looking at my trajectory path and I'm looking at this person's trajectory path and it's really hard for me to understand why I'm not there, da da It's like the typical artist from my side, you know, mental battle where, Mm -hmm. you know, everybody's journey is so different. And Mm -hmm. I just feel like... (laughs) can happen, don't get me wrong, but the amount of work you put in and, and just giving it time and patience and figuring it out is just like the most important thing to focus on. Because if you try and compare yourself to someone else, when you don't know their background and you don't know their, you know, the people they know or the previous jobs they've had, it can be incredibly self-destructive mentally.
1: Oh yeah. I mean, that's, that's something to, you know, a question that I I get asked often when I go on podcasts like this is, you know, what career advice do you have? What worked for you? Honestly. And I, I try, it's so hard. Try not to compare myself to others. I mean, I think we all struggle with that. It's so easy to look at some, somebody else and think like, wow, I want their success and I want the projects that they're doing. How do I get to that point? My advice for anybody who has asked, you know, how how do you actually get, you know, a sustainable career in this industry? It's effort. It's working harder than everyone else around you. Um, you know, I I went to college when I was 16 and it wasn't because I was super super smart. I just went to independent study school and I did my work really fast and I didn't take summers off. Um, I was not I did not consider myself the smartest person in the room. There are still so many days where I'm like I am the least smart person in the room and I don't think that, you know, my intelligence or my um, talent even was something that, you know, people pick up picked up on in the beginning, but it was that I I put in the effort and the work because I knew that my effort would never betray me. My effort would only, you know, even if it didn't lead me to certain opportunities, it would teach me more. I would be more knowledgeable. I would be ready to go for any other future opportunity. So that's, it's so true that like, you can't you don't know what everyone else has been through. You don't know the connections they might have. You don't know the education they might have. You don't know how many times they failed. Um, and I there was a quote that I saw recently that you know the master has failed more times than the beginner has even attempted to, to do whatever yeah. it is they want to do. So it's it really is about effort and passion. And like you say, you know, with um, Excision and his team. Being able to put all of this together, um, it's clear that, you know, they're putting all of the money they make right back into this experience for everybody. And I think having that genuine, you know, desire to build something for people that they're going to remember forever totally trumps making money or being popular or selling the most tickets. Uh, and so it's clear that's why, you know, Lost Lands and all of those festival brands from Excision are so successful.
2: Absolutely. And, and I mean, I think this is definitely not an industry that one decides to get into for financial gain by any (laughs) way, shape or form. And, And I think you know, while it's important acknowledging that it does take money to live and, and live a comfortable life, you know, you can't say, oh, I'm just, you know, I'll talk about people or I'll talk to other teams. And, and it's, it's like right now you're chasing the dream. You're doing this, you're doing it for the music. And it's like finding that middle ground of, okay, I, I wanted to devote all my time to this, but how am I going to stay comfortable and how am I not going to have financial stress because a financial burden, which I think a lot of us went through in the last two years, is one of the scariest things to deal with and the most stressful. Like having financial stress is so wild. And, and that's why it's really cool to see people on you know the back end of the industry as well as artists doing things in the NFT space and doing lessons and having Patreons and finding all of these other ways to Make money to pour back into their project, and and yeah, what Excision has done and created is just pretty pretty amazing because he doesn't come from this huge company. Like it's not this huge, you know. It's not Insomniacs. It's not it's mm-hmm. it's him and his team putting mm-hmm. on a festival the size of any other fest that's yeah. largely driven, and and it's it's just literally amazing. And yeah, before I. Went into kind of the dance industry. I did a lot of stuff in Foley sound, and whenever I would go to master classes or speak with other people that I was interning for, working for, their biggest thing is that you know a hard worker will always take the cake over someone who is naturally talented. And I and I think in you know there's definitely exceptions when it comes to something like production. There's definitely some you know when it comes to singing, when it comes to musical yeah. ability, but There's nothing that you can't learn, you know, in this age of internet.
1: I totally agree. I mean, even (laughs) I, it wouldn't be an interview with me if I didn't bring up my favorite band ever. Um, bring me the horizon is my favorite band of all time. Love them to death. Uh, I have a story after you finish. (laughs) Um, one of my favorite examples of, you know, the fact that you can learn, um, musical skill and I wouldn't I wouldn't say you can learn musical talent. I think it, it is just, you know, exercising that that uh, muscle, you know. Mm-hmm. And Oliver Sykes, as we know, you know, was this incredible metal death chord vocalist. And at one point he couldn't do the vocals anymore because he wasn't doing it the right way. And he didn't know how to sing ever in his life, apparently. And just with more practice, um, the band coming out of their comfort zone, him singing more. Now his voice is amazing. Um, I saw them. Now t- look at them. Look at how they've they, like, grown. Yes. I just saw them at a Slipknot's Festival. And then they also played a secret show a couple days before at Whiskey A Go Go, which is like this tiny venue, you know, in West Hollywood and he sounded amazing. And I hadn't seen the band in a little while. So I'm like, man, you really can teach yourself how to sing. You can teach yourself how to do these things. And there are so many people I think, cause they maybe aren't, you know, a kid anymore. They think that they might not be able to, no, I don't think I can learn how to play the piano. It's too late. It's going to be, you know, years before I'm good at it or something like that. But like, if you start now, In a few, you know, if you didn't do it in a few years, you're still going to be doing what you're doing. But if you did teach yourself, then in a few years, you'll know how to play the piano. So, (laughs) I I think it's just the biggest thing is that you're always going to
2: be your worst enemy. It's Mm -hmm. it's really going to come down to you putting up these walls for yourself. And I think everyone has gone through a point where it's like your mind is saying. Why are you doing this to yourself? Why are you putting up this wall that you're not letting yourself break through? And I think a lot of producers go through that in general. And I mean, when it comes to the vocal thing, your vocal cords are a muscle. So it's just like building a muscle. It's just like me telling my students an hour a day I don't care if you're making edits, I don't care what you're doing, get in the dog, do an hour a day because it's just a skill set. And It's how, unfortunately, I feel like us living in a capitalism, capitalistic society trains us is that, okay, you go to school, you go to college, you get your degree, you get married, you have a family, you do X, Y, and Z. And man, it is really hard. I think, especially when you get into your mid-20s to late 20s, you do have habits and you do, you have developed these ways of life that you go through. And yes, it's hard to break them, but man, it takes six months. It takes six months of you doing something consecutively every day to literally change your life. And, and that's like, not that long. If you think of your lifespan, six months to do it is, is not make or break. Like, yes, it will take sacrifice, but anything. And, and that's what I say too, is, you know, from your side do you ever see artists that pop up and you're like who the fuck are these people how did they get here
1: I mean I used to I think that there is I don't like the mindset of people who when a new artist comes they're like where did they come from like they came out of nowhere or my worst thing is when they accuse every new artist that's trending of being an industry plant Oh yeah uh, I, Oh yeah So and I think especially because um I being at Beatport for the past two and a half years, I have come across so much music that when I started, there were some artists that were really not on anyone's radar who are now headlining festivals, um, which is crazy. I think that I now, when I come across a new artist and I'm like, "Whoa, where did this person come from?" I immediately am, am drawn to to you know see what they've been doing before and assume that, you know, they've just put in work and they caught someone's attention or, you know, got signed to a label just because of one great song that they made. Um, and so I think that, yeah, I don't usually sit there and wonder, like, where did they come from? How did this happen? Yeah. There's always, always, always a story behind it. I mean, I guess I can't say always because we do know that there are ghost producers and there's things like that. The, the, yeah. the most, the majority of, you know, these new artists who, who blow up it's because they have passion and they have drive and they probably opened their DAW for, you know, they opened it for an hour every day for however many months. And then they were opening it for three hours a day and then six hours a day. And then, you know, it just kind of builds off of that. So I think I always try and consider that there's a lot that we don't know about people's oh, journeys Absolutely. absolutely. It, you know,
0: mm-hmm. and,
2: and I think my thing too, is that When you see, I use Peekaboo as a really good example. I just finished doing a run with him and he made music for like six years under, I think like a different name or like a different brand. And then when he rebranded at year seven, year eight, that's when it hit. So people don't understand that. I mean, I use more Kismet as a good example as well. I remember seeing him on SoundCloud when I was just listening to music in high school and I didn't know more where omar was 13 at the time 12 at the time so i was just under the impression that this person made amazing music and now you see more kissman and he's headlining and they're headlining and and it's just it's crazy to see someone like them develop and they put in their time it doesn't matter how old you are exactly which which is kind of the consensus of it all, where a lot of times before you develop someone, it's going to be five, six, seven years. And and I think that's the cool thing about this industry too, where you have all these little hidden gems. And through quarantine, through COVID, I feel like everyone was encouraged to push the boundary and just make what they wanted to make because no one was making music for a big club system and no one, no one was putting out that stuff then. So you got all of these side projects and you got all this forward thinking stuff. And now that we're back to normal, people aren't changing their ways. And I really think the consumer is here for this new age of bass music, new age of other stuff and like future rhythm. And I look at all of these new sub genres and like the bass lane and it's so freaking cool. Really yeah. quick. Um, yeah. Bringing horizon, I have to tell you before before yeah. we go. So I was it was my first warp tour ever. Yeah. And um it was after they released their album, Diamonds Aren't Forever. And I okay. remember season, right? Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. Suicide season. I remember I it was literally my first wall of death, my first oh my God. it started pouring down rain. And he was just like, go. And it was just so insane. And like to see, I mean, that's that's like the evolution of an artist, like of a band. And that's why I, you you look at people. And I really hate this kind of thing in our industry that I think we're slowly moving out of, like I use Getter as a good example with this like visceral project Mm. is that you see like pop stars, like Madonna, like reinvent themselves, Lady Gaga, reinvent themselves. Like little Texas had a fucking remix for her, you know? So it's like, you could have never imagined her doing something like that five years ago, but that's just her growth. And, and I really hope that as we continue on down this road where people are really starting to experiment that they're not against artists doing different things. But I get it because it's hard because, you know, we exist where a lot of these aren't live performances and it really is this kind of dance music. So it's hard when you know an artist to do five years of one sound and then change it up and go another way. And Not would you say, like from your experience of of seeing maybe artists do that before, that starting a new project may be more beneficial than changing it up and releasing
1: whatever they want to release? Oh, that's an interesting question. I mean, I have seen, I've seen both, you know, an artist who kind of switches up their style and, you know, an artist who releases a different alias be successful. For yeah. example, um, Lax, you know, dubstep producer and DJ now has a project called link. That's, you know, hard house, um, stuff that's like high energy and he just played project Z as well. And, I kind of, I even told him in the beginning, like, oh, why don't you just release it under your current alias? And um, he just had a different vision for this project. And it worked. It worked really well. I think having both projects made a lot of sense. But then again, um, you know, there are some artists like, let's say, Getter, who I just, I loved Visceral. I really did. And I loved seeing the live show. I loved, um, I got to see a preview of him doing the show too when he was practicing it, and it really does kind of break my heart to see how some of the community has reacted. Because imagine, you know, eating the same meal for the rest of your life. If you're a chef, or imagine, yeah, imagine cooking the same meal for the rest of your life. If you're a chef, or imagine writing the same story over and over again, if you're a writer. I cannot imagine being an artist and putting out the same music year after year after year. Um, exactly like Bring Me the Horizon kind of went a little more commercial. But now they're kind of like this generation's Linkin Park and it worked. And I I mean, I've been a fan since the very beginning. I like the heavy stuff and I like the soft stuff from them. I love it all. Um, oh, yeah. But, you know, not everybody is so open minded about different styles and genres. I know people have their preferences, but I also think it's very important to respect artists and their decision to make what they want to make. Mm -hmm. However, I guess to go back to what the root of your question was, I think that, I think the artist should totally take a gamble and try and kind of release stuff that's out of their normal realm. But if they do have an idea for new branding or they want to take it in a certain direction, let's uh, sun death, I mean, Void isn't even technically like a different alias. We all we all know that Void is sudden death and when he's billed, it's sudden death presents Void. You know, it's not usually just listed as Void, but it is a little bit of, he's explained, you know, the difference between the two, the two artist aliases and it works and it makes sense. And he didn't have to, you know, start a whole new like social media page like on Instagram or on SoundCloud or on anything. He kind of, I, I want to use the, (laughs) there's a term I want to use that I can't think of right now, but you know, it's all in-house basically. Yeah. And that It's under that same
2: umbrella. It's like, here's this and here's this.
1: Yeah. So I think that seems like he's a great example of, you know, making music that's in a little bit of a different style, um, without actually sacrificing, you know, your artist's name and your popularity and your fan base. Um, so Danny, if you're listening, uh, keep it up.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Right. I know. No, he's, (laughs) <laughs> absolutely killed it and I didn't I didn't know the difference like I knew the aesthetic difference obviously um but I didn't know like the musical difference behind it I think until like Lost Lands and I was like okay I get it now this is this is really really cool and yeah I it. oh absolutely <laughs> <I love it. laughs> you know I I feel like every case is obviously different where like those two do fall under like the same kind of base umbrella, which may make it a little bit easier. My thing is that I feel like if you're an up and coming artist and you plan on doing like a multi-genre faceted project is to kind of like spread it out and just don't, you know, commit to like one thing and then say, okay, I do this. And I use like nitty gritty as a good example where it may take you a lot longer to gain that traction but you're building on all four corners. You're building from this space. You're building from this space. And, you know, I go and see his sets and his sets are so much fun and you never know what you're going to get. Yeah. 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 Oh,
1: yeah, absolutely. Wookie, Wookiee's like that too. I think he's mm-hmm. a very, very talented multi-genre producer. And then um, let's not forget now Dubloads has House Loads and I know that he's kind of been posting. Some people are like, why is he playing bass house? I was here to listen to Dubstep. When it's literally, it's house loads. Come on. It's literally um, on. in the name. Come on, guys. Yeah. yeah. most But most people are into it and they're really liking it. And I think, see, that's a good way that he didn't have to sacrifice his branding or mm-hmm. his identity to play a different style of music for an entire tour. Um, so another good example of how you can kind of marry, you know, these different versions of your artistic self into the same brand. Absolutely. Oh, yeah, definitely. So, okay. So you're wrapping up your masters. Yes. And what was your thesis about? I remember so, no. Yes, I'm so excited because I'm done in two weeks. I'm. It's. It's been. It's been a journey for sure. Um, so for Berkeley we have something that's called a culminating experience. So we don't have to do like a traditional research study, master's thesis type of thing. However, I'm a writer and I love to research and I love data. And so some of my other classmates, they did, you know, business plans or they did marketing plans or case studies on music companies. And I decided that I would like to do a survey and a full-blown experiment where I had members of the electronic music community listen to five different songs of different electronic genres, not knowing, you know, the artist or the title or what genre it is already. It's just 30 second clips. Uh, You press play, no other identifying information. And I asked participants what genre they think it is and to explain why, because I wanted to find out how people assign genres to electronic music. I know one criticism of Beatport that I come across often is that We don't know how to categorize music Um, because sometimes, you know, songs will be in different genres. And there's reasons for that that go beyond uh, the actual curation because it has to do with distributors delivering to a certain genre. You know, we don't receive the music and then assign the genre. It comes in as a certain genre already. Uh, Wow, I never knew that. Yeah. Know. yeah. <laughs> if anybody didn't know that, yes. And so sometimes, you know, a distributor will deliver something and it automatically just goes to dance as like the default genre. So you got to go in and then change it to, to what mm-hmm. it's supposed to be. Um, but anyways, yeah. So I thought, okay, you know, if there are people who believe we're, it's, it's, it should be easier to categorize music and we should be better at it. I'm like, I want to know how everyone else does it. So I only, I sought out to get like 150 responses. The survey was only live for like 48 hours and I got 2000 responses. And I was like, oh my goodness, I (laughs) think a lot of data. So, and you know, the things that I found in this, most people, I thought that like consumers, you know, people who didn't identify as musicians or industry workers, that they would kind of base genres off of how it made them feel or, you know, subjective things like the mood of it or, Things like like the intensity, but I found that most consumers were actually using terminology that producers use. Like they think about the arrangement, about the tempo, about the key signature, about like the time signature, all of that. And I was pleasantly surprised to see that like today's, you know, electronic music fans are totally plugged in. And I don't think that there's many other genres where the fans who don't even make the music, who don't even work in the music, know how to identify these elements. In the music, so that was one of the most interesting findings that I had from that, and that different communities within electronic music actually help to define genres themselves. You know, we've got like our little dubstep community on Twitter. There's the techno community. There's a tech house community, and this this um, connection between. People And, you know, when different communities cross over and we share music and we talk about music, that's how new genres and subgenres are created. Um, and so it's, it's very valuable to have a community like this, like we have online. And I, I know that, you know, rock music or country music or rap music they've all got their own, you know, communities online as well. But I think dance music is just so vast and you can cross over in so many different ways. And, um, that's what I love about it. But yeah, that's, that's what I did my thesis on just because, you know, I live and breathe this music and I just wanted to know more about how everyone else perceives it.
2: That's amazing. And I mean, way to, to approach that in a in a way, shape, or form that you can apply it to the job that you're working at now, which is amazing. And it is important because I think one thing I've noticed, especially from being so heavily in the metal scene growing up, all of that stuff, and then switching to EDM, is that I've never seen a culture of people that are not musically inclined or have a musical background be so knowledgeable and like informative about the type of music that they're listening to. And, and I I really do feel like this is the culture that we have is a way of life. So I know people who, you know, they live for the shows, they live for the streams, they live for the new music, which is amazing because that's the only way that we're able to have a job and like make the world go around, you know, in the entertainment industry. But it's, it's very special because I think it's, it's, It's one of the only genres where you can really listen to your fans and understand, okay, this was like received well, this wasn't received well. It's not people who are bumping it on the radio on the way home, listening to it once, you know, you have people coming back and listening and coming back and listening. And I think that's what makes it so beautiful. And then that translates into the space of festivals where, you know, I feel like, it's one of the only times that you can have 50 to a or 100,000 people in one area and have nobody get hurt and nobody, you know, be robbed. And, and especially in this, you know, time of our lives and society, it's very rare to have events like that.
1: Yeah. I even think going kind of more into the art about it, like being at EDC Las Vegas and, you know, there's 150,000 people and at every corner, it's a different style of music. Mm -hmm. Like, I, you know, I'm a hard dance girl. So there's one second I'm, you know, punch in the air to 200 BPM, hardcore. But if I just walk a couple, you know, little steps over, then I'm dancing to drum and bass or I walk to the next stage and I'm dancing to big room. And that's that's so, it's so cool to think about how, are seen as so unique that way. Um yes. and so it, it kind of reminded me of that. It's like, yeah, you know, so many people and such a positive vibe. And you have this like mixed bag. Um, uh, I just, gosh, I love, I love this community so much and I love this music so much. And it's amazing to be able to connect with like-minded people like yourself. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah, just passionate. And we're here, we're here for the music. We're here because we want to be here.
2: Absolutely. And I think as You know, I feel like you've been in this industry a little bit longer than I have. And that's why, like, I'm so stoked to kind of pick your brain. But that's what I keep running into. The a a bit higher professionally, I keep running into people who really just love what they're doing. And I think that's so cool because you don't necessarily that in a corporate field you don't you just don't and and it's like here like i i keep thinking oh my god like you're meeting with this big agency or you have this big interview it's going to be like all like super you know uptight and have everything prepared and everyone's just like let's just talk about music because we love music and i think that's so beautiful and yeah i mean it, it's so wonderful to connect with you i i really want to have this like i mean I feel like I always want women and men to be obviously equally looked upon, but there's just so many women right now who are, I mean, must die. Literally he commented when he was on the podcast with me, he goes, all my favorite people in this industry are women. That's it. I only want to deal with the women. And it's very true because we're just built differently. I mean, we should be built differently, but it's really cool to see a lot of, People who are incredibly successful in this industry kind of shining their light and looking upon women to move things forward and make changes. And I, and I think it's a huge growth point that we have a long way to go, but it's definitely becoming acknowledged and
1: you're seeing more women artists and you're seeing more women on the back end and it's a good direction to move in. I agree. I mean, and it's tough to to earn that respect. I think it was a lot tougher, you know, years ago to earn that respect. I mean, I also I'm I just turned 25. I'm really young. And so when some I did like, too. Okay. Oh, so amazing. never mind. We're both 25. There we go. Oh, amazing. Yeah. And so, like, when some people have been like, oh, so like if you're only 25, so you've been working, you know, since you were 21, it's like, no, I mean, I was I was writing articles and stuff when I was 14, 15 and publishing them on music blogs and stuff. Um, and so once again, going back to like, you don't know someone's journey. Um, mm-hmm. You don't know how much. So I guess I booked my first show, you know, nine years ago um, wow. when I was a kid. Like, so yeah. that's, that's what's cool. But, you know, be earning that respect as a woman ever since then... There's been some really tough times, dude. And I'm sure, you know, there's been some tough times and I've had, you know, some, some other women who are kind of aspiring to work in our industry say like, what, what do you do about, you know, some of these, these guys who don't respect you, um, or like just kind of internalized, you know, misogyny when it comes to dealing with women who are working in music. Um, and I, it took me a while to like actually build this reputation for myself that, most of the time, people don't fuck with me anymore. <laughs> but like, they for sure did, and it happens from time to time. But because you know, you put in the work, you show your work, you show the value that you bring to the community, uh, and people will have your back. Just like Must Die, like I said, I'm I'm pretty sure he responded when you tweeted. Oh, he did. <laughs> he did. Yeah, he loves me too. I I love him a lot. But people like him who actively bring up women that they believe in and show the world like, hey, you need to respect these women. They are doing the same job, if not better, than these other guys in the industry. Um so it's it definitely takes some time to to kind of Yeah. It makes that. a world of
2: difference. And and that's that's my biggest thing is that, you know, most of the students that I teach are women. And you know, they come to this industry with very naive eyes. And I'm someone where you know, I don't want you to make the same mistakes I did. And I would love you to learn from my mistakes and all of my other colleagues' mistakes that are female, but it's just let the work speak for yourself, put your head down. Don't, you know, you're always going to not make everyone happy. And okay. in fact, the more successful you are, the less happy people are going to be. And that's just the industry that you've chosen to be in, but it's like this across the board. You know, it's not just in music. It's not just in the arts. It's everywhere. It's in corporate America. It's, it's Mm -hmm. down the street at the gas station, you know, and, and it's just something that we collectively all have to keep fighting for. And that's why I think having these discussions and shining light on how intelligent and well-spoken and, you know, commendable you are inspires a lot of other women because, It makes them feel like it's possible because sometimes they just don't think it's possible. It's very intimidating Mm -hmm. to walk in a room full of men and command attention Mm -hmm. when no one else in that room is a a female. And, And that's something that I think every female I know in this industry has been put in that place. And the more women there are, the easier it'll be. But everyone will still have that moment where you really don't feel like you belong. And it takes just a lot of time and patience And understanding that, you know, you can't control how people act towards you. You can only control how you react and how you choose to move forward. And you're the only one that's going to bring yourself down. Like when everybody was out to cancel everybody, I'm just like, you're the only person that's going to allow yourself to get canceled, So just remove yourself from the phone and like keep going. And, And that's it.
1: Yeah. I mean, I will say that, you know, when I was growing up, I was like super, super annoying to a lot of the people in my life because I was the young, you know, I was the 16 year old living in the dorms. Nobody wanted to hang out with me, they all thought I was just some annoying little teenager. And I think every single person I've ever dated has told me I'm too much. Um, And so, but then when I really grew into that and I'm like, you know what? I am a lot, but I'm just enough. And I can use my big personality and my voice and my words to, to, you know, express myself in a way that doesn't make me feel like I need to make myself smaller. And something I love to say when people, you know, feel like, I mean, they want more people to like them or they want certain people to like them, it is so unrealistic to expect everybody or want everybody to like you because do you like everybody you meet? No, <laughs> it's yeah. do you? no. And so it's, it's totally unrealistic to expect everyone to like, fuck with what you're doing because I mean, I mean, sure. And everyone there's, there's people we just don't vibe with, yes. um, and projects we don't really like, and we don't need to be negative about it, but that's why it's like, don't let it get to you ever just yeah. do your thing yeah. and be yourself. Treat people with respect. Work hard, and I I don't I don't see how you can fail.
2: Literally, and and that's and that comes just back to you are only you're going to be the biggest obstacle that you face as like going forward, and that's why it's just the the continuous conversations of this is why we build the house of brick and not straw, and this is why we like move forward with our head down and don't pay attention to other people's journeys because everyone is different and you can't, it's, and it's like, it's on your side of the industry too, where even though there are more women, there's still not enough for us not to be categorized in one circle, you know? So you deal with artists all the time. So, you know, when you see the whole, give me some female DJs, give me this and you've got a techno DJ, a hard style DJ, a dubstep DJ and some, and you know, some other, you know, lo-fi producer all being tagged in the same post as like the female DJ. It's, it's just something that is still part of our community and you just have to try and rise above. And, you know, and, and again, though, too, it's like looking at girl gang, looking at what Jeannie kind of curated when I started, and I didn't even start that long ago. They were really the, the big female artists like Rez and Allison and mm-hmm. Whit Cream was coming up at the time. And now there's a lot of us, which is so, amazing.
1: Yeah, I want to shout out like even the, the guys who, you know, some of the more popular artists, uh, the male ones who have been announcing their tours and bringing women along on their tours like. And I sometimes it really does irk me now when I see new tours being announced. And I'm like, no, no, women, no women on the whole thing. OK, but there are some amazing artists like Must Die is one of them. He's actually playing on Friday and Water Spirit, who is this really I'm sure, you know, them very yep. sick non-binary producer lives in Florida. And I've never met them in person before, but like from that, Orlando. Yeah, it's like that's the representation that, you know, women and non-binary and trans producers and DJs need like we need the people with the privilege. To put us put on for us. Um, and I've I thankfully have had that throughout my career as well, where my my friends who had a little bit more influence because of their privilege were able to help me like that. So, men, keep it up, keep doing it. No, it, it,
2: it <laughs> takes them though. And and it's it's to say we're still in that era where like it will take a man to make it do to make them do it, but I have seen like the things that Lee said, you know, it makes the world of a difference because a lot of people, especially a lot of up and coming artists look up to him and he's like talking about these women and talking about his experience with them. So it's, that's the next generation that you're influencing, which is really, really, really important. And also, yeah, with, you know, I have my female producer chats and, and it's important for us, you know, we have conversations all the time when we see compilations announced or this announced and, and it's good for us and it's healthy for us to have these conversations of, are these labels taking our demos? Are these labels, you know, being proactive of having, you know, it included if the music fits the bill? And yeah. if not, why are they not, you know, having a call to action? And on the other side of that is the touring where I've seen, you know, top agencies announce tours and them get backlash. And then all of a sudden there's some women. And you know what? If it takes the backlash to get women on there, so be it. Because really? it will become a standard to have a woman on there. Now, I know it's like fighting too early, but like, let's just not please have the only three women playing first on a stage. That would be absolutely wonderful. Mm-hmm. But but I also know that like, it is, it is data. Like we are a product, you know, you have to look at X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. And I think just having the, the bodies there to begin with now is better than where we were in 2019 Festival Circuit.
1: I agree. I totally yeah. agree. And yeah. I mean what you're doing by, you know, highlighting women, highlighting artists who are like so, so important to the scene and respectful of our community and move it forward. Um, it it's, It is commendable and I appreciate it a lot. And I appreciate you a lot. Um, thank I've, you. I'm so I'm just so happy that you brought me on here. <laughs> oh,
2: thank
1: you so much. I
2: was literally just about
1: to wrap it up because I have a student in a few
2: minutes. But yeah, no, it, it means a lot. And I'm really excited to have... Um, I'm really pushing in the next year to have a lot more women artists on here as well as women industry, because not only is it good for people to hear our conversations, Mm -hmm. I love these kinds of conversations Mm -hmm. and and I don't always get the pleasure of having them again. It's, you know, it's a job you're not always going to talk to your, you know, someone you really want to, but right now, because this is, this concept is just in such a developmental period I really feel like I'm able to pick and choose who I get to have on. So it's like when I get to choose Lee, when I get to choose James Funk Case, and all of these people who are so respectable and like, created the foundations you know they're pulling people who are going to be like the generation underneath us and like that's the most important part and you know when my students listen to this they're like oh wow like these are two badass women they're like doing it and they're like making money off of it and they're like okay cool yeah exactly but thank you so much for coming on jordan i greatly appreciate it i'm excited for everybody to listen to this and yeah that's it
1: Yay. Thanks so much, Liz. I appreciate you. And thanks to everybody for listening.
2: Yes. Thank you guys. your the XO podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to my YouTube channel, please. And we have our next live festival series coming up soon.
0: Thank you guys as always for tuning into the XO podcast. Um, I really loved this episode, so I hope you guys liked it as much as I did. If you want ad-free episodes, make sure to head over to my Patreon. If you want a shout-out on the podcast, make sure to head over to my Patreon. If you want edit packs, sample packs, vocal packs, one-on-one lessons, make sure to head over to my Patreon. My girl, Remedy, Montreal, multi-genre based producer, did a guest mix for XO Radio this week. So make sure to click the link below and GM out to that. I hope you guys have a wonderful rest of your week and I will see you fuckers next time.